Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast, a southern harmony of bold, liberating rock, soaked through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jeremy Hunsaker. Welcome back to the fourth episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. We're very happy for all the listeners to be joining us again. Thank you for everybody for all the downloads, for being on the Facebook page and sharing stuff with us. We sure appreciate that a lot. And I uh, sure appreciate my co-host here, Jeremy, who uh, filled in, did a solo thing on our last episode. I had that vacation coming up and it's just running out of time. So, Jeremy, thank you for that. How are you doing, brother? I am just absolutely fantastic. Loving life. Um, just, uh, you know, really couldn't be... Uh, I mean, it could be better, I guess, but I don't want to tempt fate, you know, so <laughs> dude, we're good, man. We're yeah. real good. Yeah, I had a, had a good time doing that. I think we've had uh, three good interviews, and we've got some killer uh, got some killer stuff on tap this week. Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. And I'm looking forward, looking forward to uh, seeing all the listeners respond to this one. We got this uh, all, all Mississippi uh, episode here coming up. And uh, we have a couple of guests we we got to talk to. I had talked to one myself. Our first uh, guest is uh, the one and only Lightning Malcolm from North Mississippi. Tell us about that, Jeremy. Uh, Lightning's just a, he's he's a badass. Uh, I've hung out with him a few times. Got to jam with him a couple of times. He's uh, he's the real deal, man. Um, the, if you're into that hill country, uh, straight up. Four on the floor, grooving, butt shaking, hypnotic trance, uh, Mississippi blues. That's it's what what he does, and he does it better than most. I mean, his lineage, you know, he came up with uh, he came up with R.L. Burnside and uh, Cedric Burnside. Him and Cedric had the two man wrecking crew back in the day, and uh, he's uh, played bass with North Mississippi All Stars with Luther and Cody. Uh, he's he played with the Kimbros. He's uh, he's a direct lineage to the real, real North Hill Country blues, and uh, I just couldn't be more excited. And badass is this the only way to describe the guy? You know, I mean, I've been listening to the Foot Soldier record of his, the cuts off that, and I'm I am so amazed. It's just so impressive. I mean, he's playing the kick drum on his right foot, and he's playing the snare on his left foot. He's doing the bass on his thumb on his bottom string and the rest of it and he's just got a badass tone and it's just it's just incredible it's incredible so legit so legit yeah he's awesome great guy great great music just all around i mean and you hang out with him he's just like he sounds he's just like he seems in our interview you know he's uh he's the same guy you know it doesn't change so it's it's awesome and like i said this is the all mississippi episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. And I uh, had the privilege of talking to Andrew Fulton, lead singer, guitar player from Magnolia Bayou, fairly, fairly new, uh, fairly new band. And uh, you were telling me you're you're starting to get into them and let's, uh, let's hear your, uh, your assessment. They're badasses too, man. Um, I, you know, I've only checked out a few things on YouTube. I'm looking forward to this new album they got coming out. Looking forward to getting a physical copy in my hands and uh, and expanding my palette. 
for sure. They uh, they hit all the right notes, you know, is what I like in, in music. You know, they're a little jammy, a little country, a little blues, a little rock. You know, roll it all up in a badass burrito, light it on fire. <laughs> you know, we'll be hearing one of their new cuts, uh, Tupelo, at the end of our my chat with Andrew. And since then, they've also uh, they've released a song called Thieves, and they got another uh, song coming up here soon they're going to release. Uh, I believe their release date is September 23rd, and on October 1st, they're doing a uh, – they're going to be playing the record in its entirety. It's the record release party, and you can go on their website, their Facebook page, and all the info is there to get in on that. I've already got uh, – I'm already – set up for that i'm really looking forward to that so you know tell you what man i'm really really pumped about this episode so we're glad uh that everybody is uh here to listen and take it all in with us all right jeremy uh tell us what you got coming up here on your bootleg corner oh bootleg corner well it's been a great week uh in bootlegs over here at chateau de la hunsaker <laughs> We had a good weekend, um, had some friends around, um, checked out uh, Led Zeppelin, Seattle, 1977. Can't get over those no quarters from 77. And I had to turn a friend on to that. Uh, really, really super. John Paul Jones, can't say enough about him. And his, uh, you know, he's a great influence on me as a bass player, right? Uh, as he should be for anybody who wants to play rock and roll and blues on bass. But his keyboard playing so underrated um and he's just amazing uh and those no quarters from 77 uh, are just proof of that um also uh fish july 8th 1994 at great woods in mansfield massachusetts uh just a fantastic show um the second set is stupid uh rift into sample in a jar um you enjoy myself into Frankenstein, back into you enjoy myself. You know, how many times can you hear Edgar Winter play Frankenstein? Well, if you hear Fish play it in the middle of a monster version of you enjoy myself, gives it new life. Great, great set. Also from Great Woods, uh, Almond Brothers Band, 1998, uh, with Jack Pearson on guitar. Holy Jesus. Now I know why they call him Mr. Blue Sky, because... Mm-hmm. That version of Blue Sky on that, just fantastic. They also did an acoustic set uh, with uh, Robert Johnson, Come On In My Kitchen, uh, Steady Rolling Man. It just, I mean, it's the Almond Brothers, right? But it's different with Jack Pearson in there. I mean, it's it's like almost to another level. Um, I didn't realize how great that lineup truly was. Um, also... A uh, guy on the uh, Amorica 3 had put up a, like a fixed version of the Black Crows February 10th, 1995 from uh, Italy, which is one of my favorite shows. It was broadcast on Italian television, and I had the VHS when I was in college, and I just wore that thing out. Um, she gave Good Sunflower, High Head Blues. Uh, the best version, they did like um Progress Jam. Into, into my morning song, into this crazy thing that it's just Rich and Mark in a breakdown in the middle, and they go back into the sunrise in my morning song, and it's just phenomenal. And this guy, 
took all the best sources of it and reassembled the whole show to where we finally have the whole thing in, in like really good audio quality. So I've been jamming that. Um, and uh, I got a Muddy Waters show from Paris, 1968, that I've been listening to uh, with Otis Spann on keyboards and S.P. Leary on drums. So it just doesn't get any better than that right there if you're into the blues. So, um, yeah, do yourself a favor. Go on archive.org. Uh, go on etree.org, dime a dozen. Seek out some of these shows that we're talking about because, uh, you know, the studio records are great, but live music is where it's at. And right now, not being able to go out and see live music, I've, you know, it's almost like I got, I was taking it for granted, all the shows that I got to go to. Um, and I'll never take that for granted again. And uh, listening to a lot of these shows has made me, you know, realize that. But it's also made me realize just how how blessed we are to be able to still, you know, have this at our fingertips with the advent of the internet and all that type of stuff. So. You know, that, that's kind of where we're at with it and what we've been listening to. Speaking of the Crows, it just came up here today, the anniversary of the High in Houston show from spring of 93. Right. And I remember that coming out, like, on the radio broadcast. And, yes. you know, I, I think I dubbed that onto a cassette while, while it was on the radio and listened to that a lot. And, of course, a buddy of mine later on, he got that on CD. And so it's great to see that uh, anniversary of that come around. Yeah, that's the original bootleg right there is taping the stuff off the radio. You right, know? right. Yeah, right. I used to do that. I used to do that, or I would record. I remember t- recording Guns N' Roses live at the Ritz on VHS <laughs> and then running a line out from the back of the v- VCR into the tape deck and recording <laughs> that off of the VHS tape. So it had like two generations of tape hiss on it. But I didn't care. Turned it up and cranked it. But yeah, high in Houston um is is special man you want to talk about a band uh high energy and they're doing it for the right reasons you know they they had to stop the show in october because of the security at the venue and so they came back in february of 93 and um put on a free show um at the sam houston coliseum and the 10,000 capacity was full Almost 15,000 people tried to get in to that show. Um, so it was, you know, the energy is off the wall. With all the high as the moon shows are like that, though, man. Uh, but that one's really super, super high octane. And uh, it's, it's a special show to me, too. One of the first. The other thing I saw lately here uh, is, uh, you know, Summer Jam from Watkins Glen, you know, which, of course, had Dead, the band, and the Allman Brothers. Yeah, buddy. 73. The the best part of the dead uh, at that was their sound check. Uh, <laughs> right, so, right. So many people uh, got there early and were camped out, and they just started letting people in early. So, you know, by Thursday, there were over 10,000 people in the venue itself, and so the dead came out and played a two-hour sound check. It's amazing. You know, I've, I've got CDs of that, and it's just... You know, it's better than the set they played the next day or whatever. <laughs> All right, well, that leads us into Vinyl Ventures. What you got for us this uh, episode, Jeremy? Well, I finally got my copy of Neil Young's Homegrown, uh, mastered by Chris Bellman. Uh, fantastic album. It was uh, recorded in 74 or 75, I believe. I want to say probably 75. Um, Rick Danko from the band uh, was hanging out 
with Neil and the guys from Crazy Horse. And Neil had Homegrown and Tonight's the Night on the same reel-to-reel. And he played Homegrown for him, for him and was like, this is our new album. And Tonight's the Night came on after it. And Rick the Prick goes, go with the raw one. <laughs> and so Neil Young puts out Tonight's the Night instead. And Homegrown sits on a shelf for, what, 45 years or something? And uh, it, it's an amazing document. It's an amazing record um, chronicling um, a breakup of a relationship. And I think maybe it was a really a personal thing for Neil at the time because he was divorcing Carrie Snodgrass. Well, they weren't married, but they, they were breaking up. She was the mother of his child. And, uh, you know, he was really these songs are real personal in that area. So he decided not to put it out and went with something that, you know, had a little bit more distance between him and the tragedy at hand, which was the death of Bruce Berry and Danny Witten in Tonight's the Night. But Homegrown uh, is, is powerful. And uh, like I said, it sold so quickly when it came out. And, and I'm usually on top of these things. I didn't get one out of the first run. And I had to wait for him to press more up because you know everything got back ordered and it finally got here so i've been listening to that um been listening to uh, some stones out of the uh, half speed mastered box uh tattoo you um which was mastered by miles shoal at abbey road uh sounds amazing and uh you know that that's an album that's really just keeps growing on me and growing on me uh even the side one songs like slave and little tna uh, which I kind of maybe dismissed as lyrically trite, aren't that at all. There's a depth and a resonance to them. Uh, you know, the stones are required, man. They're absolutely required. It's required listening. It's how I got into the blues. That's really how I got into, you know, Slim Harpo and, you know, Muddy Waters and, and all that type of stuff was uh, kind of how the stones assimilated all that. And um, I still can't thank them enough for that. And those records are, are just absolutely phenomenal. Emotional Rescue is another one I've spun lately a couple of times. Uh, really underrated in the Stones canon. Um, that song, Down in a Hole with Sugar Blue on Harp, is some legit, hard, deep blues. Um, and, you know, the funk on that record is, is legit as well. Dance Part One. Uh, emotional rescue. I like dance part two as well. You know, uh, if I was a dancer, because it tells the truth. <laughs> and uh, you know, so uh, been been listening to that, spinning those things. Uh, what else I get? Got um, Kiss, Love Gun. I went on a vinyl splurge and I bought like, I don't know, I got like fifty records for like seven dollars and fifty cents from hit records in Columbia. And one of them was the first Kingfish record with Bobby Weir has lazy lightning and supplication on it. So I've been spinning that. Um, I've got, man, I got so many new records this, over this past week. I got the Tom Petty box set. That's got the first eight albums in it. And I haven't even got to crack that open yet. So that's on deck, you know, so we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> My input to the Vinyl Ventures, and I, we've talked about this, and I'm promising myself as soon as I get a turntable, which that'll we can talk about that in another episode as well as we've talked about off the off the show. But uh, I promise myself, uh, Working Man's Dead is going to be my first vinyl. Oh yeah, that's a fantastic record. That's a great pick. There's a 50th anniversary edition of that that just came out not too long ago, and 
Of course, it's got Cumberland Blues, um, Easy Wind, uh, Pigpen blowing some hard blues there. Um, it's got uh, what Dire Wolf, Dire Wolf's an amazing song. Just had a discussion about that with a friend here over the weekend uh, about the the lyrics and the imagery involved in in Dire Wolf and um, then uh, what else is on that record? Uh, well, Uncle John's band and Casey Jones, obviously, um, they're the two hits. So yeah, man, Working Man's Dead. You could you could do a lot worse than that. That's a great great record. One of my favorites. Now we're going into our interview with the one and the only Lightning Malcolm. All right, we're, we're with... Uh, our first of two guests here on this fourth episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. This guy is an amazing player. He's a badass. He's from northern Mississippi. And uh, Jeremy, you want to tell our listeners who our guest is this uh, first guest of this episode? Uh, this, this man, uh, like you say, he's a badass. He's the one, the only, Mr. Lightning Malcolm. He's played with the Kimbros. He's played with the Burnsides. He's played with the uh, Dickinson Boys. Uh, he plays bass. He plays guitar. He plays the foot tubs. He'll play anything you want. You give him uh, give him the radio, he'll play the shit out of that. I guarantee it. So he's oh, yeah. uh, he's a man. And I, I've had the pleasure of hanging out with him a couple times, jamming with him. Uh, Lightning Malcolm, is uh, he's one of a kind, man. He's the real deal. Welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for joining us. It's I'm very, very, very grateful and happy to have you as a guest. Hey, I'm proud to be here, man. I'm glad we can reach out and get together like this. Indeed. Sure. So uh, yeah. tell me, uh, like, what, what, what have you been keeping busy with during this whole quarantine thing? Well, I've really been, I got a six-year-old boy, so since I, and I've been on tour, like, almost constantly for, hell, last 20 years, so... I've really been enjoying kind of just being home for a minute and spending a lot of quality time with him. And uh, I noticed that I haven't been playing that many hours of the day, but every time I pick up the guitar, because I'm spending such positive time with him, I'm really coming up with good stuff and like, you know, playing foot drums and coming up with new beats and stuff. So I've been writing a bunch of new stuff. I've got a brand new record. I'm kind of just waiting to see, you know, all the tour dates got canceled. So we've kind of, held the record for a minute but we're going to go ahead and release it anyway because we got other records i want to work on i don't i don't want to hang it up waiting you know so we're going to try to get that together as soon as we can but actually i've been busy as heck i can't believe how busy i've been being at home will do that to you <laughs> man being a mr mom is yeah. a thousand times more work than touring and not sleeping and doing Radio interviews and playing show like this is this is some serious work at home, right? <laughs> but it's, it's yep. beautiful. I've been enjoying every minute of it. It's really been a blessing for me to get some time at home. But you know, I want to get back out to the people and I want everybody to be safe and you know uh, to try to find our way. You know, find our way through it. You know. Oh yeah. 
Well, I can talk for speak for myself, and I'm sure Jeremy the same. Like we're really looking forward to this new record coming out. And uh, you talk about how, like how you got started in music. I mean, I was thinking about music as far back as I can remember. Like being four or five, I was already thinking about it. You know, I remember uh, Michael Jackson Thriller. That was like, you know, when I was a little kid. That was like the biggest thing in the world. You know, when that came out, and he, you know, he was like, I have to admit, I mean, I don't think about it much now, but. When I was like five or six, that was like the the biggest thing in the world. Thinking about him and be, wanting to be a performer, and I was always beating on the ground with sticks and you know like whatever songs on the radio. I'd be playing like a little African beat or something behind it, and I just thought every kid did that. But now that I'm looking back, it was like I was just always thinking about like the groove and drum beats and notes and you know I don't that's just everything I think about is tied up in music. You know, it's just like, I just, it's like oxygen for me, really. Like, it's just like part of my everyday life. Even when I'm not playing, it's like on my mind. Absolutely. I, I can relate to that. Not yeah. only, uh, you know, when I was growing up, uh, I had, Thriller was huge, you know, obviously everywhere was ubiquitous. And, uh, you know, I it lit a fire up under me. I was probably three or four, you know, when that record came out. And, you know, I had the record and the cassette, you know, so I could take right, the cassette right, with right, me. Right. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Remember the Walkmans? That's when the Walkman yeah. first came out. Uh-huh. Little headphones. Yeah. Uh, that, that, well, that was fun. That was fun. But, you know, like what I really got into was, like, I got a Muddy Waters tape. And, like, when I heard that, like, you know, a couple of years later, I already was into music real big, but I didn't know what was going to happen, like, you know, what I was going to grow up to be. But I just knew I got a hold of a guitar after a little while. Like, I just loved the strings in my hands. I didn't even, like, try to play as quick as I could. I just enjoyed, like, you know, rattling around on the strings. It just, it just felt good in my hand. And I don't know. I just, like, took to the guitar like it was, like, like, everything you know like, or, or you know not just guitar drums and guitar but like music and but especially the guitar is my way to figure out keys and songs and stuff like it was everything to me like i just you know like it was a vehicle to a whole escape and vacation world like you know like going to mars or something you know you could really go to mars with the damn guitar if you got the imagination for it for sure did you come from a musical family not really. There was nobody that was really doing it. Even it's definitely not professional. You know, nobody was doing professional. It's just something I decided I wanted to try to do, and I got around people who did. You know, like R.L. Burnside, and, you know, T. Model Ford, Robert Belfort, Arthur Turner, so many Big Jack Johnson. You know, and they had families, and you know, a lot of them. You know, the kids. There was a big musical family. You know, that was fun. You know. Uh, but my family really wasn't. Most of what I learned was, you know, getting out of the house. I'd grab my guitar and go for walks, you know, and try to get out the house and, you know, just uh, get out. When I was real young, like get outside, you know, or walk them old gravel roads. There was like mile sections of gravel road. I'd walk that and get out there and be singing across the fields. And, you know, like your voice, you know, ringing out across the field is different than like sitting in a house with, people sitting around like if they're not you know what i mean like when you're young starting out it was better to be out in the fields where you could let go and i could learn how to like holler out you know like like when i started listening to muddy waters the way he sang like like his whole he gave his whole self to it and i learned like 
you know, go out and out in the country out there and, you know, be by yourself or if you messed up, nobody could hear you or whatever. And it was, it was fun to like, just let go. And I remember getting that feeling when you could really let go. It took a little while to learn how to like just do it on command, but like when you let go and it would take over, it was like amazing feeling. And I learned playing that old, like the really old primal blues. When you, when you can really get into that stuff and give yourself to it, when you try to go back and play some other kind of music, like whatever, country or rock and roll or reggae or whatever, it's like you own it just a little bit different. It's like I, I, like it, you just come back with another perspective and like you know how to like make it your own naturally once you, you know, got that like foundation underneath you. Like it, it changes the way you approach other styles of music. If you really get down in that root and like strengthen the root, you know, like. You know, like everybody wants to play, and I remember reading about Jimi Hendrix talking about this, but like, uh, you know, everybody's playing, and you, a lot of times you're going for different stuff, but really when you get into a repetitive, like what funk music really is or whatever, like a real repetitive riff, or like the hill country music is, funk is just a little bit kind of cleaned up version of hill country music, but it's like one chord or, or whatever, not not too many chords, but just like a real repetitive riff and the longer you play that and don't jump off of it, like it might take a second, but then something happens and like it starts playing you. And then the riff changes a little, it comes something new. And then it's like, wow, you're in the zone. But like, you almost have to like work yourself there. Like you can't just like, you know, when you're changing what you're playing all the time, it's cool and it can be really exciting and expressive, but there's something about letting that repetitive thing like work on you for a minute that like, you know, trances you out, and then all of a sudden, like, something happens, and you can feel it in the room when it happens, and it's like, oh, shit, this is like magic, you know, but most people, like Jimi Hendrix said this, he said, most guys uh, don't even get to feel that, because they don't stay there long enough to let that happen, they play a lick for a minute, but they, you know, they just, they might play it for 10 seconds, or maybe 20 seconds, but they just got to go into something else, but if you really sometimes just it's almost like a, a mental warm-up stretch or something, but like you really let that groove work on you for a minute, man. It'll take you into some stuff, you know. Like watching Aurel Burnside, Junior Kimbrough, like their songs were like pretty simple patterns. Just these, you know, winding few chord. It didn't step out the. It really didn't step out the scale or whatever, like that real, the hard blues scale, but. It had this intricacy to it. And, like, when you play it with, like, the love, it's like it's not the lick. It's the love that you put into it, like the funk and this, this, like, feeling, you know, like, it's hard to teach that. It's like people show me how to play that song. I'm like, well, it's only three notes. I mean, you know the notes, but you got to make it, like, roll where all the big leg women all these sexy women up on the like you got to make it where they can dance to it. Like in, in the clubs I play that, if you didn't make the women dance, they were going to throw you out. Like they're going to take you out and put the jukebox on. You had to like beat the jukebox. And that's hard to do. Like, but you, you know, you had to compete with it because they knew they could dance off of it. So if you didn't get them on the first couple, like the first song and, and keep them locked, you know, like this is like country juke joints and stuff. There were no contracts. It was all, you had to turn the place out. You know, especially, I don't want to say that, but yeah, you, you, I had to put the place out, <laughs> you know. Uh, uh, whenever I jammed with you, man, that uh, 
speaking of T Model Four, we had you had Stud on drums, and oh, uh, yeah. and that's T Model Ford's grandson, and uh, it, it was real hypnotic, just a real hypnotic jam, and uh, it only it takes more discipline to stay on that one, and and to, and to keep that moving. I noticed, and uh, I wanted to go to the three chord, and you're like, no, no, stay on that one, stay on that one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, 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 it really is, man. It's a, a lot of guys will want to just play a bunch of notes, you know, instead of staying on that one and driving that home. And it, it, it's, it almost takes more discipline to do that and to make that interesting and to keep that groove going than it does yeah. to play a bunch of stuff, you know, so. Yeah. Well, what really ends up happening is in the environment I was playing in and when it, but in any environment, like, I mean, it's like what makes like a lot of pop music, real popular or even electronic music is it's not really what the musician is playing it's that beat hitting the body so like when you're playing this guitar or bass you have to think about the woman's body out there like more than your instrument like in in a way you know what i mean you got to make it like feel sexy to the crowd you know what i mean so like it it and then we learn to do that like it's really fun like you know, like you're thinking more about the crowd than you are like what you want to play like in a way or Kind of all together, like that's just one part of it. You know, you got to keep the groove going. Like, and it depends on your crowd. If it's like you know, some crowd that want like a jazzier crowd, then you can kind of like get out of beat a little more. Certain crowds are more like hard, like juke joints. You, you know, you 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 had to have like a, a bouncing like a pocket beat. You know, like everyone had to be had to put a zip on it. And so, you know, you. But even when you're doing like when you're doing this simple thing that might be as one chord, but what happens is you can have like musicians who've never played together fall in and lock in on something amazing because it's not a bunch of chords that you have to think about. Okay, what's the next chord? What's this? You're really just locking in on like being together. You know, that's like it's the band together. It's not really about you. But there'll be time once you get the groove set up. There'll be time for everybody to. I mean, you can go to India. You know, and you take your solo and go, you know, but like as far as like playing with other people, it's it's better to find something nice and simple and rhythmic that just locks in and kind of makes everybody around you better. Like there's there's all like playing rhythm guitar in a band that kind of already has their thing is a fun. It can be really creative because you got like you're not really holding everything down, but you if you could just find a nice little thing. That makes everybody play just a little bit like better, you know, but it doesn't have to be very much. In fact, usually less, but like a nice little like African cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Just something that kind of ties everybody together. That's more effective to me as far as putting like a good trance on a room and, and a dance floor than, you know, like just standing around waiting for your turn to solo. You know, like a heart player, I tell them, you know. You don't have to play like solo. Just like put a little like train rhythm. Like most of like funk music, hill country music, it's rhythm music mostly. There'll be time to take a solo. When we quit singing, we'll let somebody blow. But really, the essence of it all is the rhythmic. You know, it's like this rhythmic propulsion. I might be rambling today. I don't know. <laughs> It's good stuff. It's accurate. I slammed that cup of coffee there. I was real sleepy a second ago. I said, well, let me slam a cup of coffee, but I didn't realize it was at uh, Cafe Bustelo. Now I'm now I'm talking to you. 
<laughs> As someone uh, on the outside looking in, that's I've never been to Mississippi. I've never been down there. You know, Jeremy's a little closer there being in Missouri. But that Hill Country music for you, Lightning, as a kid, was that something that was just readily available? Like when you go outside, do you find it? Did it find you? Like how how do you explain well, that? I, yeah, I found it. You know, I, I mean, you know, it wasn't like I grew up next door to, you know, the, the guys were playing next door. Like some people, some guys did. But it didn't take me long to find out, you know, once I, you know, you know, was getting into the music. I mean, the first thing I did was that really got me was before I was probably 10 was got that Muddy Waters record. You know, I just saw the cover and he looked so amazing, like so proud. I just like, I got to have this. I don't know what, the, you know, I didn't even know for sure. But I knew you could just tell by looking at him on the cover, it was going to be the bomb. It was like the, the baddest stuff that ever came. You know, you could just tell. And I went home and turned it on and like. Whoa, yeah, you know, like <laughs> I just cracked the stare all the way up, like just buzzing. I mean, it's just amazing. You know, it's like wow, it's so primal. But it was like that was the biggest thing that really. And so from there, I just you know licked out and you know met like people, Big Jack Johnson, T Model Ford, Ariel Burnside, you know, Arthur Turner, all these guys you know around here, and, and you know just made friends with them, and I would hang out with them, then I would go out on tour, you know, like, back then, it wasn't that long ago, but the internet wasn't just, like, exploding like it is now, you know, like, you was out doing tours and stuff, but a lot of people didn't even hardly know, you know, it was, like, underground, but, you know, we was always out playing and learning how to, uh, you know, experience is the best, you know, just being out playing and, you know, like, learning how to, you know, maneuver through stuff on stage, how to make cross uh with transitions and stuff whatever you know into whatever if you all make a mistake know how to do it in a way that's funny and keeps the crowd happy you know just little things that you know really if you just give it your best go and try to be honest it usually works out all right even if you make some mistakes it's okay you know like makes it real yeah yeah just do it from the heart and it'll be all right that's the goal to me uh Arl Burnside he is he is the man the badass above yes. them all I yes. talked to a friend of mine about that quite often like what you I mean you had the pleasure of being around him like what can you say besides what you've already said you got a good story I mean I just think he is the quintessential badass he is the man I agree I agree Arl Burnside was the I, I you know you really get down to it I've seen musicians of all different uh Walks of life. I mean, amazing. Some of the best musicians in the world. And I got to say, even though R.L. only played a few notes and he was getting older and he was just sitting down, but like the effect he had on his listeners with even these simple notes was like, it was amazing. And not only, you know, his playing, his singing, his personality, you know, he was always at ease and in control of whatever was going on. He was so smooth and he was, he was really a Zen master, you know, and I mean, he taught me so much about life, like so many things besides music. You know, music is just a teeny piece of it, you know, but it's all together. Like it's it's a lifestyle that's tied in with, you know, how to watch out on the road and watch out for yourself and watch out for each other and, you know, be fun and be entertaining, know how to adapt to, you know, be yourself, but be able to adapt to modern things. And, you know, he he could adapt with young people or, you know, different bands and stuff and still be him and you know just you know know how to be flexible in certain things and above all just always keep yourself sharp you know because like it, it, you know, his career was late in life you know the, the best part of it, it was like 
when he was wanting to actually retire is when the opportunities came and he just did that because, you know, he could help his family, you know, and he, you know, he, and also an amazing provider for his family, even from the grave, he's providing, you know, with, uh, you know, his record selling and playing, you know, not as much as it should, but still, you know, providing for his family and stuff. That's a, those are all amazing lessons to me, like this as being a musician and a man. And he's also like a hero, like around these parts, like he's like, he's like, uh, you know, a folk hero. Like, you know, like a lot of times people are like a big thing out in the world, but around home, it's just normal. Like he was not a normal guy around here. Like he was a legend. Like if you saw him going by on the, in the truck, you know, it was a big deal. Like it, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but you know, he was, he was definitely the man. You know, yeah. Well, well, well. <laughs> well that's that's yeah. for them, sir. He was fun, man. He was so much fun to be around. I remember, you know, like I stayed with him a lot and sleep on the couch and we jammed. Me and, before me and Cedric started really touring, just the two of us, me and him and Gary was playing on the porch, some little, you know, band called Burnside Exploration. And I was playing with them. And, uh, it, and at this time, RL was getting ready to pass. You know, and he was getting tired, but he was, you know, his heart was so strong, he just kept beating. And he he would, you know, kind of be, you know, sitting inside resting, and we'd be on the porch jamming, man. I mean, just like cranked up. Just, I mean, rocking. This, it, it was, we were rocking hard. You know, Cedric crushed them drums, and I mean, we was really rocking. And he would come out, you know, and get in the chair and sit there with us. And it was hard for him even to get out of bed at that time. You know, he was, he was, but he would lean down in there with us, and we'd be that small porch. We're just jamming right next to each other. And he'd lean down in there with us and be like, you know, when we'd get locked in, he'd look over at me like, you got it now, man. You know, and he still cared so much about music. He couldn't couldn't really play, and he's supposed to be in bed, but he just loved, you could see, like, the embrace and, like, the medicine, you know, that it was for him. Like, you know, it it, it really got to give me chills thinking about, like, how I, I remember, you know, watching that happen, thinking, like, wow, like, I mean, I already know it's this whole world, but like even then, and I would be the same way. Like that music, man. If it's in you, you know, it's 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 like your medicine. It's everything, you know. You want to rock until you can't rock no more. Yeah, you got it. It's no <laughs> doubt. Got to rock till you can't rock no more. So, how did you get into uh, playing bass uh, with Luther and Cody and the All Stars? Well, uh, you know, we all met. At Junior Kimbrough's back in the early days, jamming. You know, all of us were coming in there jamming. They were just, you know, I mean, we all had been playing all our lives, but, you know, like they were just getting started as the, you know, forming the North Mississippi All Stars right then. And so we've been friends over the years, you know, like, and for, man, over about damn near 30 years now, you know, and we always jammed around home and stuff. We was almost never home. We were always out on tour. And, you know, but like finally I had a little break. And I went over to Luther's right, like, you know, one night he was home, and we don't live that far away. Uh, came over, went over to his house to write a couple, you know, see if we could write this song, help him write a song. And we wrote about six awesome songs, like, in about an hour. Like, it was crazy. And so I was like, he was like, man, you just come play bass with us for a couple gigs, and we'll write some more stuff. And so I went out for a weekend with him playing bass, and, then he took off, and you know, we ended up, ended up playing for like a couple of years, you know, and just it was just a natural thing to do, you know. Uh, we've known each other for, like, say, years and years, so it was fun to kind of get together on some stuff like that, like really on the road, 
and work on stuff, you know. And it's fun jamming with them guys because they're like playing with the old guys. It's like a lot of telepathy. Like they're, you know, you got to feel their changes. And playing with like the Dickinson brothers, it's it's like they're two people, but it's one brain working. Like it's crazy the stuff they do. And so to really get in there with them, like it takes a lot of telepathy. So it's like you know, play growing up playing in church and playing in juke, like you know, playing with the old guys where you didn't write nothing down, you didn't make no notes, you just know how to feel it and you know, like just know how to find what you got to find. And you know, with them, they didn't have set arrangements, you know, so it, it was a lot of telepathy, which that's a whole nother thing, but that's a really fun part of you know, music is like you know, when you really lock in on people and like can just improv and know like where you're going, you know, like it all winds together. Well, Lightning, I see you got a guitar there with you. You got a little offering up something for us. Yeah, well, uh, the new record is called Turned Up On Loud and uh, it's coming out as soon as we can figure out what to do. It's got a bunch of, it's all originals and stuff, but uh, this is one off it. It's called Bounce With Me. Bounce. And uh, it's kind of like some, you know, old, R.L. Burnside, a little bit of Robert Belfour kind of licks in there, but uh, and I got the guitar here and I, I got a little, I got my kick pedals on a merch crate right now, but give us a little beat right there to, you know, usually if I was out playing somewhere, I'd have my foot drums and playing the guitar, but uh, so anyway, this is called Bounce.
new Thousand album, Lightning? What's, what's the name of the new album? Uh, Turned Up On Loud. Nice. Turned right Up On, on Loud. Right on. Yeah. Is this yeah, one going to be recorded at uh, Roadkill Studios as well? I saw the videos from the Foot Soldier. No, that, that that's down by New Orleans. That's another studio. This is actually recorded at uh, Kevin Wade's studio over in uh, Tupelo. Tupelo, Mississippi. We've uh, been working over there, and uh, I think you're gonna like it. It's pretty. It's just a party record, really. It's kind of like a lot of good time stuff, you know, like a lot going on right now. It's not really like talking about everything's in the news right now. It's like kind of like really escape from all that, like because it's Hell you yes. know, like yeah, that's what we you know, music. Here. Music is a funny thing because, like, in one way, it's a very real thing and tapping into people's what's going on with people that they can relate to. And it's like journalism in a way, you know, documenting human feelings and conditions and even, you know, events or whatever. But at the same time, it's like an escape, too. So it's like, you know, it's it's kind of a mystery all wrapped in there, how, you know, how to put that all together, you know, and, you know, feel, tap into everything and, you know, leave the world a better place. I'm into it, man. Uh, tell you, I'm a big fan of Rough Out There. It's a, it's a great album. I play the hell out of that one, so I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Do you guys got the you got the Foot Soldier record? I don't have Foot Soldier. Well, I've just been seeing the videos, and I'm gonna download okay. it though. I tell you that much. And, and what about uh, what about you got the what was the next one? Uh, you think I know my own records? Uh, <laughs> Outlaw Justice. That was that's the latest one. Uh, oh really? I, I mean, didn't that's even like know about that one. Now. So, uh, well, y'all yeah, give me your email, but like people can go to the store, uh, go to uh, lightningmalcolm.com. There's like a little store right there. They can, all the records are available right there. But I'll send I'll send y'all something for the shows or whatever. But like you know, oh, those yeah. are you know each album kind of got like a little kind of little chapter to it. Like it's kind of a group of songs that fit. You know, like I've been kind of. Like rough out there is kind of all over the place, kind of a bunch of different stuff. Even though it's still in the theme, but like you know, the last couple of records, like Foot Soldiers, mostly like one man band, like a lot of foot drums like this. Hell yeah. Uh, real raw, real raw, like old hard blues, kind of like that song there, you know, type stuff. Nice. Uh, you know, Outlaw Justice, kind of a little more like Americana, Outlaw, whatever. You know, don't let the man catch you at the sundown type. You know, <laughs> that foot soldier is just amazing. You're you're doing the kick drum and the snare and doing the bass part on your bottom string and that tone that you get on "Don't Bitch" is just like that's heavy. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> it's like, man, a lot of it. You know, that's that wasn't my amp. I mean, we had a couple amps plugged in, like almost everything we could find. But like, there was a Gibson Falcon that a buddy had let us borrow, and that doggone amp that. That's what made that album. Like it wouldn't have been the same without that. That, that amp sounded so good, especially on that kind of stuff. Like it is a good. When I listen back, that is a good guitar tone. And I think we had like, like there was a stairwell. We had at least one of the amps, and not a couple of them, like in the stairs. Like we were catching extra. Like you know, I, I wanted like, I like getting adventurous with the mic sometimes. Like getting away from the amp. I mean, you close mic stuff. Always, you know, to have that, but like it's cool to like distant Mike because a lot of them old records, like for instance, like John Lee Hooker or T Bone Walker, it's almost like you 
and a lot of us are playing hollow body guitar, but like their notes almost feel like they're traveling across the wood floor to you. You, you know, like it's it's like it, it, that's more interesting than you know it's like that that uh, or like you know Zeppelin records, you know for instance, you know like really getting the room sounds, chess records. It's you know, got all a these, depth to it. Yeah, yeah. There's a feeling like you're in the room with it happening, and that's like you know that's a, a yeah. I, so I, I like to try to experiment, like uh, distant miking is something I'm all, I don't know, sometimes I might be messing stuff up, but I kind of like getting the exotic sounds sometimes. Like, you know, like you talk about don't bitch. That's like from putting the mic way down the stairs, I think, from the amp to kind of help get this, you know, of course you got to play it all, but uh, I mean, just on top of the playing, like sometimes there's little things with the amps and mics and stuff you can do to get some cool reverb. It makes it sound bigger, you know, like... Uh, I've actually been uh, finding new drum patterns on my feet lately. Like, I haven't really, like, that song really wasn't an example. But, like, I've been finding some syncopated, like, new, like, almost hip-hop-type drum patterns that I used to, like, be able to feel for a second, but I would lose it. But now, like, I can play a guitar solo and keep it going. I I don't even want to talk about it too much. I'm just starting to get into a whole other level. And so I've been wanting to kind of get ready to tighten it up a little bit and uh, and record some more one-man band stuff because I'm, I'm kind of excited about some of these new songs I've been writing and, and like really like the drum beats I've been finding that's like really going to make a lot of like the foot soldier stuff sound like obsolete. And, I mean, that's good, but like this is going to be another level like of one-man band stuff, I think, if I, if I can keep the train rolling down the mountain. So in the store on your website, is your records only available on the downloads? Well, you can also you can get them, you can buy them right there for download. Right. Or you, if you want physical copies, you get them at uh, CD Baby. Okay. Okay. We sell through there, you know. And with the new one, we're gonna do some. We're gonna do like a little. I gotta get everybody together on. You know, we kind of been just trying to see what was gonna happen. But now, you know, which you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. But anyway, I want to get the record out as soon as possible. So we're going to, with the new album, we may have, like, we will have some autographed copies or something that we send out, you know, right from the website that we'll mail out to people. That'll be like little special edition things. But either CD Baby for the physical copies, Lightning Malcolm, or if you want digital downloads, you get them right there at lightningmalcolm.com at the, at the website. That's Hell the two yes. best. Well, I'll tell you, Light, and I've very much enjoyed this. I really, really appreciate you being on. Like I said, I yeah. can't say enough about you. You're a badass. You're. I just thank you so much. This has just meant the world to me. Jeremy, what do you have to say to our uh, yeah. amazing guest here? Malcolm, brother, you be safe. Uh, L.A. and Don came by the other day. I told them we was going to be talking to you. They send their love. They're on their way yeah. out to Sandusky. So, nice. you know, you uh, are. I appreciate everybody, man. Me and my family, we appreciate everybody, the love out there. And uh, we look forward to when we can get back to you. And we'll do this for now, but when we can get back to you in person and rock the house, I'm ready to get there. Damn right. Sounds good. Thanks, Lightning. See you next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Peace, brother. All right.
Well, we just uh, heard our interview with Lightning and Malcolm, and that was really something else. How do you sum that up, Jeremy? Um, I had a great time talking with him. It was very informative. Uh, it, it just, man, I think it says it all. The guy's greatness. He grew up with greatness. He learned from the greats. He's a part of that echelon, uh, part of that lineage. And uh, I feel blessed that he took the time from, uh, you know, his home life to uh, to sit with us for, you know, a few minutes and, and chat with us and play a badass song. So, you know, I hope everybody that got to listen to that kind of feels that way, you know. And now going from uh, North Mississippi down to South Mississippi, Gulfport to be exact, where I got to talk to Andrew Fulton from Magnolia Bayou. Let's all enjoy. Right. We've got our guest here on the All Foods and Southern Rock, Southern Rock podcast, straight from Gulfport, Mississippi, Drew Fulton from Magnolia Bayou. How are you doing today, Drew? Good, brother. How you doing? Good, good. Now, how are you guys doing with the quarantine and all that? I, I know I, I saw you as a message on your social media. You had to make that hard decision to, you know, not uh, plan to do any touring, and, but uh, showing uh how much respect do you have for your fans and keeping everybody safe? How are you guys working with all that? Uh, to be honest, man, we're, we're uh, staying pretty occupied right now uh, because we're in the final stages of um, uh, finishing up our second album. So we're kind of preoccupied with that. <laughs> and uh, most of us have day jobs. So we've been able to stay pretty busy. It was a little bit of a, uh, an adjustment at first. Um, with no shows and then having to adjust to doing live streams every Monday night, which is a little bit out of our wheelhouse or was. Um, so that was a little bit of an adjustment, um, but we're doing good, man. We're uh, we're just moving with the times. Uh, and we're, Like I said, like you pointed out, we're not really, we don't have anything on the books and don't plan to play any live shows for a while until we feel like it's safe. So I think that the goal really is just to get this album out and then focus on getting right back in the studio to record more music. Right, I saw you guys did. You guys played a show up in Oregon, uh, Idaho, Filer, Idaho. Yeah, yeah. We play a big. Uh, it's like a. It's primarily a country festival, um, but they have a, a decent amount of southern rock. And this is. A, it's called Highway 30 Music Festival. I think this is the seventh year that they did it, and they do it in Filer, Idaho, um, every summer at the end of June. Okay, how would how does that work for the for the audience there i mean were people spaced out or yeah so um they reduced it's a campground and they reduced the capacity the ticket sales i think to like uh by like i think it was only 40 percent capacity somewhere in that number and they had bleachers towards the back of the fairgrounds so that you could sit and spread out um they sold face masks they sold um hand sanitizer they had hand sanitizer hanging from the trees so they did they pretty much took every precaution that they could to give everyone the option to space out and to um protect themselves if they wanted to great 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 so i'd, I'd uh, like to hear about how how your band formed do you want to talk about that 
so the band formed um so dylan is the uh the guitar player our lead guitar player is the founding member of the band um that they he formed the band uh his junior year of high school i believe it was his junior year i was in, i think i was in my sophomore year of college by this point um him and two other guys it was a three-piece singer a drummer and then him on guitar they started the band for the high school talent show um i think they played um they added a second guitar player they played like one or two gigs that summer and then the singer left and then i joined the band about a year later and then that's also when josh our bass player joined the band um that was in the summer of 2015 and that's kind of when we got our official start on the bar circuit um with this current lineup um and what was i going to say <laughs> Oh, we all knew each other. We all grew up with each other. We all were in high school band together. I was two years older than the rest of them. Our drummer's in his 30s, our current drummer, Cedric. But uh, before he came into the band, every just about every uh, lineup, we all came from high school. We were all in high school band together. So. Okay. So I are you originally from there? Because I know in the song Long Damn Ride, you talk about uh, driving down from Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'm originally from Greenville, Mississippi, the Delta. Um, but that song is actually, I wrote that song about one of my best friends who lives in Pennsylvania and uh, lived in Mississippi for a period of time. And it's actually kind of, it's loosely inspired on quite a few friends. One friend who um, gave me the idea for the song, he's from Pennsylvania. And then we have several buds that lived in Mississippi for about six years. They're originally from New England. They live in New Hampshire. And they lived down here for about six years, and, and uh, they had a band. Uh, they were called the Michael Vincent Band, and they did the Mississippi scene for a while, and then they moved back home to New Hampshire. So it's kind of loosely based on all of our friends from the New England, uh, New York area who really love the music scene down in Mississippi. So I could just picture, you know, you making that drive or anyone making that drive. Now you mentioned is based on someone else. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, talk about some of your your contemporaries. I know you've you've mentioned uh, you know you mentioned you uh, played with them them Dirty Roses and uh, uh, Roadside Glorious. You did a big compliment to them. You want know, to talk about your you know some you know just some of your friends or some of your peers in the around your level of music and contemporaries? Yeah, man. Uh... Roadside Glorious, uh, who unfortunately just disbanded. Fantastic band. All those guys are from New Orleans. Phenomenal musicians. And they all have other projects, too. Um, great friends of ours. Uh, one of those bands that you, you kind of, uh, when they open for you, <laughs> kind of you're kind of nervous to go on after them, which is a good thing. Um, we're really good friends with these guys out of Mobile, Alabama, called the Red Clay Strays, who are really picking up some major steam. They have three songs out right now. Um, they're starting to get some really good play. Um, they play all over the, uh, the Southeast, um, kind of like a country Southern rock band, more so in the vein of like um, Skinner, Marshall Tucker, that old school Waylon, you know, style country. Uh, we toured a lot with Bishop Gunn, who they obviously, unfortunately, disbanded early this year. We spent a lot of time on the road with those guys. Um, them Dirty Roses, who we uh, started um a relationship with in March, right before the quarantine ended. Well, before the quarantine started, we played with them at uh, Sidetracks Music Hall in Huntsville, Alabama, and we're also set to play with them again in October for uh, the inaugural Throttle Fest at um, 
at Sidetracks Music Hall in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, Ben Lewis, who was the bass player for Bishop Gunn, has also got his own solo thing going on right now. And uh, we've been doing a lot of stuff with him as well. You know, I read in another interview, you know, how how their Bishop Gunn's breakup kind of affected you guys in a way, you know, because you referred to those guys as your older brothers and how, what was that like for you guys? Uh, very much so. Uh, they're, they're our older brothers. We kind of considered them, um, I guess, the leaders of the charge. They were carrying the flag um, that was going to be this, you know, it's like this idea that Mississippi was going to kind of bust onto the scene very much the same way that Seattle busted into the scene on the 90s. You know, you had Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, uh, Nirvana, uh, all these great bands that kind of busted out and they all originated from one place. And so the idea was, you know, uh, there's so much uh, negative connotation surrounding the state of Mississippi, but we have some of the greatest art in the world. So we kind of consider them the flag carriers of this big musical movement uh, out of Mississippi. And so when they broke up, um, it was kind of like this uh, strong sense of responsibility that was now on our shoulders to kind of lead the charge and carry the flag. Um, and we saw how it, it affected their fans. And like I said, that just kinda, it increases the responsibility that you feel when you when you realize that uh, people really need this this uh, music and this movement in their lives. Mm-hmm. I very much look at you guys like as a fans band with your interaction on social media and you know nowadays. You know, I, I often wonder, you know, for people that are playing professionally like you, like what what is left of the music business? Like I hear so much everybody goes up to Nashville and I get the feeling it's not where they have to go, you know, to get heard or get seen. And it wasn't like now. It seems like that, it, you know, everyone's you're building everything brick by brick. Yeah, definitely brick by brick, man. It's uh, it's grassroots. Um, we're completely independent. And, uh, you know, I've always said that our wealth as a band, you know, we don't have a record label. We don't have anyone behind us with a lot of money. I've always said that our wealth, A, is our parents, because our parents have always been incredibly encouraging um, about what we do. They've supported us. And, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people's parents, you know, I have friends who are musicians, their parents don't support them that way. And our parents have been very supportive. And I've always said that our wealth as a band is not backing or a label, but it's our fan base and, and what they do to lift us up. And so the idea from the beginning was to basically, I kind of like to look at the, the band, it, the show is like a traveling church. You know, we try to build up our fan bases like our family. Um, and when we go out of town to play a show, it's kind of like we're going to visit our extended family in Huntsville or in Nashville. And, and that's kind of the mindset that we've tried to create and the vibe that we've tried to, tried to create. Just this idea that the it's one big Bayou family, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, because the fans, like I said, we don't have a wealth of uh, resources behind us, and our fans are our resources. And uh, you know, without them, we wouldn't be able to do what we're able to do as an independent band. We wouldn't have built, you know. Uh, I think Tupelo just hit. Um, you know, we have some song. We released our first album two years ago, and there's still some songs off of that album that haven't even uh, crossed over five thousand streams, and it's about two years old, four, two years, four months old now. Um, but we just released Tupelo a month ago, and um, and under a month it reached 10,000 streams, and our monthly followers went up to like 4,000 on Spotify. And, you know, that's something we would not have been able to do on our own without the support of our fans, without, you know, without spending a lot of money on ads or a publicist or uh, anything like that. So, Well, I certainly love that song a lot. You, you make that reference to to idaho again yeah 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 
Idaho is, has a very special place in our heart, man. They kind of uh, they've taken us Mississippi boys in like family out there, and it's a uh, it's just a wonderful place, man. It's, it's funny how many people down here in Mississippi uh, have never been to Idaho and don't know anything about Idaho. So we try to push it all the time. We're like, you got to go to Idaho, man. It's a beautiful place. <laughs> how did that come about? You guys just happened to play up there, and they just they they've embraced you, they want you back. Like, what? what how did that? How did that come about? We had a manager uh, three years ago um, who at the time was working for a uh, – it was like a booking agency out of Texas. I can't remember the name of the booking. He was a junior agent at this booking agency, and he was from Mississippi. He's a guy I went to high school with, and he was looking for some, some, some junior bands to take on. So he kind of took us on and managed us a little bit. And he had just come off the road with a guy named Sam Riggs, who's pretty big in the Texas music scene, country music. And um, Sam Riggs plays Highway 30 Music Festival every year. And uh, this is when we had just started recording music. We were really trying to, we were getting serious about traveling. Uh, we were working on our debut album. And uh, he started booking us some out-of-town shows. And he wanted to get us on a nice festival to build up our resume. And he already had connections with this festival in Idaho. So he was actually able to, to get us out there. And the first year we played, <laughs> we we didn't play any gigs to and from. We, we all hopped in a van. And we drove 30 hours to Idaho without stop, no hotel rooms. We took, it was four of us, two people awake, two people sleeping. And we did shifts like that for 30 hours straight and drove mm-hmm. straight to Idaho. You know, one thing, one of the goals of this podcast is to really emphasize in the South is this where all music basically came from. And, you know, how, you know, blues and country and, you know, what we'll call Southern rock and everything it's born and bred down there. And I'm just fascinated with, you know, from Texas all the way over, you can name all these towns and, you know, Austin and Dallas and New Orleans and, you know, you know, where you guys are from in Mississippi and up the Delta and Natchez and, and, you know, uh, Muscle Shoals and Huntsville and Nashville and into Atlanta and Macon and down in Florida. I mean, it's, it's, I just, you know, we don't, we don't get this kind of like, you know, like that kind of musical diversity up here. You know, it's pretty much, you know, I, in some ways I feel like I should watch what I say, but I'm, worst thing I'm doing is telling the truth is that I think up here, it's just like people's only source of music is FM radio. And I just, I'm just envious. I think it's so wonderful. That's why I'm doing this podcast. You know, I want to connect with you guys down there, but this, if you can like, you know, expand upon that, like what it means for you to be down there and, in all those places. How many places have you been to down there? Have you been to these other cities? You know, Nashville, Huntsville, Memphis, or Austin, or Atlanta, or Bacon, or... Um, we've pretty much been to all those places, man. We've played in Macon. We've played in Atlanta. Uh, we've played down in Florida. We haven't had the opportunity to play in Jacksonville yet. Uh, Jacksonville or Tallahassee, which are pretty big uh, southern rock um, areas. Uh, we've played in Memphis. We've played in Nashville. Um, we've played all over the state of Mississippi. Um, I mean, we've played most of the major spots. We've never gotten into Texas. We had a three-night run in Texas scheduled right as the quarantine started. We were supposed to play in Austin, Dallas, and somewhere else. It was like a three-night run, and unfortunately, that kind of um, that got canceled, obviously. But, um, man, we play everywhere in the South that we can, and it's they like to call it the American Music Triangle down here. Just this wealth of, um, of blues, country, and rock and roll. It kind of has uh, influenced uh, popular music as a whole. 
and uh, I, I, we definitely feel very fortunate to be from this area of the country. You know, Mississippi is notably a very poor state, um, but we're very wealthy in art and music, um, and so we, we feel very fortunate to um, to uh, be from this area. You know, that 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 is a uh, uh, that, that kind of thing is in our soil, you know, in the water, I guess we drink. <laughs> you mentioned about leading the charge from Mississippi. I wanted to ask you uh, if you guys have met or had interactions all with North Mississippi All-Stars and Luther and Cody. Uh, any see them around or jam with them or Never talk to them? Never with them. We've, we've seen them a couple times. Um, we got to play a festival with them. We opened for them. Uh, actually, no, we played – so we played this festival – uh, last September called Chillin' on the Gulf Coast. It was an inaugural festival down here on the coast. And uh, they had a two-stage setup. They had a main stage, and then they had a stage like maybe 100 yards out from the main stage. And um, a big headliner would play. And then as the headliner stopped, um, another band would start. So they had music all day long for like three days straight. And uh, the... Um, we got to play directly after the Mississippi All-Stars on the opposing stage last September uh, for this festival. And we actually got a chance to go backstage and hang out with the guys and talk to them and meet them. They're real nice guys. Right on, right on. So where I would like to talk about, you know, where you where you cut your first record and where, you know, where you're working on it now. What, what studios? First record we cut over in New Orleans, Louisiana, at a place called The Music Shed. Um, and that was, uh, produced by Justin LaFramboy. Um, and, uh, the second one we cut in Natchez, Mississippi last May at Natchez Sound Studios. And that was produced by Burn Sharp, who, um, was the drummer for Bishop Gunn. And then, uh, it was mixed by Justin, the same guy <laughs> that, uh, produced our first album. And then we actually had this new album, uh, mastered by Pete Lyman out of Nashville. He's the same guy that has mastered Chris Stapleton, uh, Sturgill Simpson. He did the last Rival Sons record. He's done Jason Isbell. Um, and he just did a phenomenal job. So it's, it's really nice to be tied in with Pete Lyman for this new record, for this new release. Mm-hmm. So what was it like working with Bernie? Obviously, he's a friend of yours. Was there a uh, difference in production techniques from the first record to this one? Uh, I think the biggest difference going into this record wasn't necessarily um, the producer. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously Justin and Byrne both have their own way. <laughs> they both have wonderful creative energy. I think the biggest thing was <laughs> a confidence that we had going in, because um, recording is a completely different ball game than playing live. And the first record, we were real young and didn't really know our our, our way around the studio and uh, weren't used to hearing ourselves um, uh, in that quality, I guess. You feel very vulnerable at first. Uh, You hear everything you're doing, and you hear if you're doing it well or you're doing it wrong. So I think the biggest difference going into it this time was the confidence that we had. I think we were a little bit more seasoned as musicians, so we were able to get in there and just knock it out real quick. Um, And then, of course, Byrne just has fantastic creative energy. He's just very energetic guy, um, very knowledgeable about uh, rock and roll and arrangement, and he just had a lot of great ideas um, and, and kind of really helped. Uh, we had a strong foundation going in, but he had a really uh, a lot of really great ideas for arrangement 
and things just to make the songs hit as hard as they can. So, so who are some of your influences of, you know, bands older, been around for a while, or whether it's famous people, or who do you list as your influences? Well, when we started out five years ago, uh, we played a lot of um, Steve Ray Vaughan. We played a lot of Jimi Hendrix, um, Muddy Waters, B.B. King, Sunhouse, <coughs> Howlin' Wolf, um, all those all those Albert King. Um, and then over the years, we've kind of <coughs> progressed more into a rock outfit, um, really influenced by bands like, <coughs> sorry, the, the Black Crows, the Rolling Stones. Um, we're really all we're, we're all really hardcore into like the 90s. Uh, so Allison Jane, Soundgarden, um, Stone Temple Pilots. Um, let's see, uh, we're we're into bands like Incubus, uh, Rage Against the Machine, and then we're also a lot we're all really into country, old school country. Waylon, um, Willie, Johnny Cash. Uh, we love all the new like underground dirt. Red Dirt Country and stuff like that, like Tyler Childers, Sturgill Simpson, um, Chris Stapleton. I mean, we're just really into everything, man. I guess you could say we're very inspired by classic rock and roll. Um, I think that's probably what comes through in our music the most, but it's a melting pot of everything just because we all listen to so much. Um, our guitar player, Dylan, is really into funk, all that old um, Herbie Hancock, um, fusion jazz, um, all that Miles Davis Um uh, we're really into like the Almond Brothers, Leonard Skinner, Little Feet, big Little Feet fans. So it's just, I don't know, man. It's it's difficult to pinpoint anyone in particular, and I think our music uh, is a, a reflection of that. It's just kind of this big melting pot of everything that I guess would kind of fall under the umbrella of Southern rock. <laughs> and all those artists you you listed are just like a perfect, you know, description of what I'm trying to you know get across with this podcast. That all that stuff relates somehow and it seems like down there it all you know everything kind of crisscrosses or you know cross paths down there yeah for sure like from the outside looking in i guess if you want to say newer bands the last 15 years or whatever i don't know if i have this right but i kind of see you guys as like the second tier of, of bands from down there i i know when i i chatted with you guys a little bit on your live facebook and I know you mentioned, you know, that you played with them, Dirty Roses, but you hadn't played with Jive Mother Mary yet. And then I mentioned Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. Um, and then before, like, I kind of see is like, you know, Blackberry Smoke is like, do I, am I seeing that right? There's like this, they've been doing it for a while. And then, you know, there's Whiskey Myers, too, that's been around for a while. I mean, you say, is it like, I don't know, am I seeing that right? Like, there's like the, the first kind of like wave or whatever, and then you know, guys growing to your age, a second tier of bands are just kind of like following that or. I would definitely say it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like a second wave. I mean, you kind of have Blackberry Smoke that is um kind of leading the Southern Rock Charge right now. I and mean, that's just a fantastic band. I mean, we're really big Blackberry Smoke fans and uh, we have a lot of Blackberry fans that follow us around. So they're kind of like the, uh, the flag carriers for uh, Southern Rock, keeping it relevant right now. And there's definitely a second wave of, um, you know, you know, bands like in their 20s and then their 30s that are that are kind of like in this, um, you know, uh, not quite as big as Blackberry Smoke yet, but we're kind of all on the same circuit, the same level, and we're kind of all climbing up together. You know, very much like uh, you know, I kind of like to, 
I kind of like to think back to like before Leonard Skinner was what they were. You know, they were all really good friends with the Allman Brothers and, and right, the guys right. Little Feet and the guys from Wet Willie. I mean, they all kind of knew each other. They were all really good friends. They kind of played on the same circuit and they kind of all climbed to success together and became just incredibly successful bands and they all kind of came up together so i definitely think there's this kind of like the second wave of southern rock that's coming um but i think it's very unique i think it's like i said it's <clears throat> it's this very unique blend of southern rock and um, hard rock and funk and you know it's, it seems like bands right now <clears throat> are not trying to pin themselves we all kind of uh, fall under the southern rock um umbrella but it seems like none of us are intentionally trying to be southern rock we're just playing what comes out of us and it's just it's i think this it's this very unique breed of southern rock that's going on right now well to quote greg allman once said you know southern rock that's just like saying rock rock you yeah, know yeah. <laughs> uh also you were mentioned you know bands from C- seattle earlier and i'm wondering if it's the same you know i've heard some of those guys make comments like before that got big like there was a really a supportive camaraderie. There wasn't like, like a, you know, cutthroat competition. It wasn't, I'm going to like get here before you. Like, is that the same down there with you guys, all these bands that we talked about, like camaraderie, supportiveness, going to see each other's shows. What's that like down there? It's def Yeah. I mean, it feels that way. It feels like there's a very strong camaraderie, you know, um, like all those bands in, in Seattle. I mean, I, I've read that, early on before any of them signed any major labels they kind of all shared the same management they kind of all had this this office space where their management was that they all hung out with all the guys in pearl jam hung out with all the guys in Soundgarden and allison chains and they all shared management and i've read that oftentimes if anybody needed a van uh, one of the bands would loan another band their van or they would loan each other money and it was a very supportive thing they all had their very this Nobody was trying to be like each other. Everyone had their own very distinct sound, um, and and they were all very supportive. They were really good friends, and they all kind of rose to success together, I think, because of it. They kind of had this packed mentality, um, and I think that's ultimately what helped all of them get where they did. And I definitely feel that that, uh, that, that is the same thing that's happening right now in the South. Uh, it's kind of like this packed mentality. Everybody's kind of working together being really supportive of each other, kind of scratching each other's backs. Everyone's got their own unique thing going on. So it, it definitely feels like, uh, it kind of feels like you're a part of something special. You know, you don't know what it is yet. You don't know where it's going to be in five years, but you feel like it's going to be big, you know. I think you're re- referencing the music bank. I, I keep seeing these, like, little clips from Jerry Cantrell lately. He did this big interview with Gibson. As he mentioned, they all like stayed in stayed in that uh, that building. Yeah, yeah, they lived there, and uh, supposedly they didn't get paid. They got paid in like uh, frozen TV dinners. <laughs> uh, but it was like the spot where all the Seattle bands would rehearse. I think Lane Staley had worked there at the time, and um, that's actually where Allison Chain started. Was at the Music Bank. I think that's where they held all their um, initial uh, their initial auditions for a singer and they supposedly they wanted uh, lane staley to be in their band but he already had his own thing going on so they auditioned like 10 singers that day and they were all horrible and they purposely um auditioned horrible singers just to piss lane off and uh i guess he was like screw it i'll join the band so yeah the music bank man it's a pretty historic spot 
So you guys are still working on the record now, or where are you at on that? The record's in the bag, brother. We're just uh, kind of um, tying up all the loose ends and getting it ready. It's coming a lot sooner than I think people realize. Yeah. Great. So. Well, I'll tell you what. I want to thank you a lot, Andrew. I think we're kind of winding down here. I kind of I don't know how many more questions I have for you, but I just I want to let you know how much I love your guys' music, and I appreciate you doing this. That means a lot to me, and I'm glad that you, you know, came on the podcast, and that's going to be great for people to hear this. And, you know, when we get this out, like, well, you know, what would you like us to play it out with? Uh, play Tupelo, man. That's our latest single, and obviously we'd love to push it as much as possible. Um, that's the best representation of uh, what's to come on the new album. So, uh, yeah, definitely Tupelo. All right. Will do. Will do. Well, thank you for Andrew Fulton from Magnolia Bayou for joining us. It was a great, great episode we had this week. First, Lightning Malcolm, then, then Andrew Fulton from Magnolia Bayou. Jeremy, closing words. Well, it was a fun episode. Uh, it was fun being a part of it. It was fun helping put that together. Um, you know, it isn't often we get to go to Mississippi, <laughs> but we, I hope, we took everybody there. Um, it was informative to me uh, on a musical level. Uh, it was entertaining. It's, uh, it was everything that you would hope a podcast would be. I, I truly believe that and uh, had a good time doing it, man. Can't, can't wait to do it again. And as uh, Drew Fulton told us, we're going to close out the show with their new song, Tupelo. So, everybody, always remember, Southern Rock is reverent and blues is blood. We'll see you next time. Peace. There's much to see when you're this down free, but your sanity is no Yeah.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.